For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, <clears throat> zealous of good works. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. I have titled this, entitled this sermon, Epiphany. Uh, I was not someone who was raised in a very historical or historically oriented Christian tradition. Of course, we had some similarities with other traditions, historical and present, but I did not grow up celebrating the holiday of Epiphany. Anybody here grow up celebrating the holiday of Epiphany? All right, I'm not the only one. Well, then you may excuse me if I see none of you did, but uh, for calling this sermon Epiphany when the actual holiday is at the end of the 12th day of Christmas, January 6th. The Feast of Epiphany was already being celebrated as early as the 2nd century in the Christian church. And the term does not mean that you've arrived at some great idea in your mind, as we often use it, but the term comes from the Greek word epiphane, meaning manifestation or appearance. And this truth is central to what we are celebrating in the Advent season. The holiday springs from the record itself of the Magi and their visit of Jesus recorded in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and I hope to preach that when we come together Christmas morning for worship. We do intend to have a worship service on Christmas morning. Um, Christmas morning is a wonderful opportunity to gather as God's people in worship of our Lord and his birth. But it's my concern today that we see Epiphany in light of, especially in light of the Old Testament. What does it mean that Christ has appeared? That he has been manifested? Well, I believe that if we look first at what we see in the Old Testament with regards to God's appearing, we can understand what is meant for God's people. And really the blessed state that comes from the appearing of God in the person of Christ. First this morning, Mankind was in need of God's appearing. At the end of Genesis 3, we have a serious problem for mankind. 
We know that Adam is sin, but at the end of Genesis, Genesis 3, we read this. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. As a result of Adam's sin, mankind was removed from this pristine place, from intimate fellowship with God indeed, because God, it seems, would walk with man in the cool of the day in the garden. And there was found no earthly means to correct for man's sin, for God placed this cherubim at the east of Eden with a flaming sword to guard every way to the tree of life. This picture is emblematic for mankind. There is no way for man to fix the problem of sin. We cannot return back to the garden ourselves. We cannot find the way of life ourselves. I read a headline this morning, and I didn't read the article, but new discovery may change what we think about death. If you, read, if you read anything or if you watched the news this week, you'll know that Canada now has, I think, a furniture store or something uh, advertising suicides and the benefit of doctor-assisted suicide. Uh, we are far in our society from a biblical view of death. We're far from our in our society from a biblical view of life and what that means. But what we, mean, what we see here is alienation. We see alienation that leads to separation altogether. Alienation from God's pristine created uh, world and from life itself. Apart from God. Driven out. The next chapter in scripture, chapter 4, doesn't appear that things get better for man, but maybe worse. The two children, the two male offsprings of Adam and Eve at this point, Abel and Cain, are recorded there, and we know what Cain does to Abel. Cain murders Abel. And Cain responds to God's curse of him. You have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. So there seems to be a further removal from the sight of God, from the presence of God here for Cain and his progeny. Chapter 5 gives us a glimmer of hope with the singular man named Enoch who walked with God. A very unique situation in all of Scripture. He walked with God and the Scriptures merely says, and was not, for God took him out of the world. But that didn't bring much hope for mankind, only for Enoch. There was nothing said of Enoch or to Enoch for the sake of anyone else. That was merely a special and gracious, significant relationship that God had with this man. By chapter 6, we see that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Not much worse news could be pronounced upon mankind. And in fact, God relented that he made man. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So eight people are saved and mankind is spared 
from total destruction. After the flood, God makes a covenant with Noah and with all of mankind, reiterating the creation mandate to fill the earth. Genesis 9.1. Now that creation mandate hints that there is still some good that may come. Imply, it implies there is something God has planned. He made a promise in the garden, but he gives no explicit promise of salvation to Noah. There's another illustration in that covenant God made with Noah. He hangs a, a bow in the sky. And one thing that the ancient peoples believed about that bow is that that bow was aiming towards heaven. You think a bowman, when he pulls his bow, the bend is in the direction that that arrow is going to fly. And that arrow is not pointing down. The bow is not upside down, pointing at us. It's pointing heavenward, which is a strange idea. But perhaps there's something of the substitution pictured there that God himself would bear our sin. He would bear punishment. But how would that work? Nothing is explicitly said there. Mankind's attempt to restore what is lost in the garden is ultimately foiled, it seems. Noah's own children are sinful after the flood. And from there, mankind gathers at Babel under the leadership of a great man named Nimrod, perhaps. I don't know if he was leading at that time. But mankind gathers all its strength and is going to save itself and is going to rise to the heavens and God confuses them all, spreads them out, and there's, we don't realize this, but there doesn't seem to be a single believer on the, in the world when God disperses mankind. Do you realize that? And the reason I say that, because it's not until we come to chapter 12, well, we start seeing Abram's name in chapter 11, but Abram is from Chaldea, Ur of the Chaldees. This is a pagan people. This is an idolatrous people. So who is worshiping God? Who is, who is there in the world? Now, up to this point, scholars will disagree. Bible scholars will disagree. But at least 2,000 years of history has passed. At least. And... There is no explicit word that this alienation between mankind and God will be corrected. This separation. Up until this point, it seems like judgment is what mankind will know. Secondly, that is until we see God's appearing to Abraham. Now, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 7. As I was studying these things, uh, I didn't want to be preaching a novelty. That's not something I aspire to ever do. And so, I went in Scripture and I looked at this sermon that Stephen preached. And I was encouraged to go along with this sermon that I was planning to preach based on God's appearing to his people. Acts chapter 7, verses 2 through 4. 
I'm going to just read verse, verse 2. And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. From here on out, I'll focus on three times or two times Stephen describes God. Actually, three times Stephen describes God as appearing in his sermon. The Old Testament record does not specify this appearing of God to Abraham, but it was something that was believed. The rabbinical tradition held this. What happens in Stephen's sermon is Stephen is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's been accused of speaking against the temple and against Moses because he's speaking for Christ. For Jesus as being the Messiah. But he knows the Old Testament. He knows the rabbinical tradition. He knows the Septuagint, it would seem. Inside and out, what comes in the sermon is flowing. The closest allusion to this call which Stephen gives is found in Genesis 15:7, which said, And he said to him, I am Yahweh, who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess. And so what this seems to intimate is that, yes, indeed, God called Abraham, when he was still Abram, when he was in the Ur of Chaldees, before he went to Haran, God revealed himself, appeared to Abram. And I said this because we need to have this in our minds. Stephen's speech seems to be a defense of the gospel witness, of Christ's witness, which doesn't stand on the temple's authority or Moses' authority in the first place. It does agree with both what happens in the temple and what Moses said because those things alluded to Jesus, but it doesn't rest on them. Stephen's message, beginning with Abraham, was a reply at least to say this, Look, the hope of our people began in a pagan land among pagan people, not in a temple made in human hands. The God of glory, he said, remember that term, appeared to our father Abraham when there was no temple, there was no law given. It's very similar to, I think, the way that Paul argues in Romans 4. When was the promise given? Before the law came, right? This is what he's trying to say. It's, so we need to have this in mind. What good came to the human race after over 2,000 years of silence and no explicit hope came when God appeared to Abraham. This is what I want us to think about. Secondly, or third... God appears to Moses. Go down to Acts 7.30. Through verse 33. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared. This is the angel of the Lord. To him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. In a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and of Isaac, and of Jacob, 
And Moses trembled and did not dare look, dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now here we see, Stephen says, an angel appeared to him. But we don't have any difficulty accepting this as God's appearing to Moses. Because in Exodus 3.16, it says, The Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me. Moses says, Yahweh appeared to me. God would make it abundantly clear through miracles that he had indeed visited Moses so that the people would follow his leadership as God would lead them out of Egypt, out of bondage of slavery under Pharaoh and into the promised land, the land he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Exodus 4.5 makes that clear and 6.3 makes that clear. God revealed himself. He appeared by the hand of the angel in this way to Moses for what? For what purpose? What end? Exodus 6, 6 through 7, these texts that we've been seeing as we've been looking at the Lord's table, these cups of blessing, or these four cups of the Passover are based on these four promises. This is the end to which God revealed himself, appeared to Moses. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. The first thing is, know me. Who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh? He is the uncreated one. He is the only God. He is the only living and true God. I am the Lord. And here are these promises. I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt. One, I will deliver you from slavery to them. Two, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Three, and I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt. Again, for our sake today, notice the blessing of God's visitation of his people. And in this visitation, in this appearing, now there is hope in the world. There are promises. There are blessings. God has broken down this separation, not by man coming to him, but by God coming to Abraham. Isaac. He appeared to Isaac. He appeared to Jacob. In fact, he appeared to Gideon. He appeared to Samson's parents. Where he appears in blessing, he appears for the sake of covenant love, for mercy, for salvation. And we are seeing Stephen make a point to demonstrate these. Well, the last point of Stephen's purpose or sermon is our final point this morning for the appearing of Christ. And if you blink, you will miss this in Stephen's sermon. Acts 7, 51 through 52. Stephen in his sermon begins stepping on toes here as he describes Israel and their unbelief. You see, they weren't faithful to the promises. They weren't faithful. and They didn't quite understand fully what God was doing. They reject Moses, tell Aaron to build an idol, so they worship this idol. And as they come into the land of promise, even there they are unfaithful. Even those who had 
a heart that would be one that would be faithful to the Lord, even through his sin, he would repent. David, he seeks to build a place for God, and God tells David, I am not a man, I don't live in buildings made with hands. Answering, Stephen answering those who would say, you're speaking against the temple, he says, God isn't interested in a temple built with hands. But his point as he speaks about the failings of Israel to receive the prophets and so on, he also speaks in historical uh, consistency in chapter 749 and 50, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hands make all these things? In verse 51, you stick... You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You don't understand what God is doing, in other words, he's saying. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand, listen to this, the coming of the righteous one. Those words rightly are capitalized, righteous one. Beforehand, the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. There is where if you blink, you miss the point. The prophets foretold his coming. He doesn't say he came, which is why we often miss this. He doesn't say he appeared, like he said, God appeared to Abraham. The God of glory appeared to Abraham and to Moses. He doesn't say that. He said, the prophets foretold of his coming, and you murdered him. Implied is that in that is that he came. He appeared. He was here. You betrayed and murdered you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keeping it. Keep it. How did they reject the law? By rejecting Christ. By murdering and betraying the one the law was preparing them for. The one who the prophets prophesied would come to them. Stephen is saying that the righteous one himself appeared. How is that true of a man? The righteous one. Jesus says, no one is good but God. And yet, we understand what the New Testament is speaking to us when it speaks to us of who the Son is. This is in lineage with what he said about the God of glory appearing to Abraham and Moses is a declaration of blessing and mercy, one of promise and fulfillment, God with his people, Emmanuel, appearing and being with his people to bring salvation. The righteous one was prophesied of that he would come, he came, he was betrayed and murdered. And just as with Abraham and Moses, God appears how he will and where he will and when he will. God appears to Abraham while he is himself an idolater surrounded by the uh, 
by idolaters. He appears to Moses after his people rejected him in Egypt, and he has been in the wilderness 40 years as a nomad. He appeared in the person of the son, born in a humble stable in Bethlehem in Judea, surrounded by dirty animals, wrapped in, in cloth that was made to embalm dead people, swaddling clothes 2,000 years ago, and he was betrayed and he was murdered by the people he came to save. And I will tell you this, this is our salvation. God appeared in the person of the Son to save his people from their sin. Do you believe that God has appeared with the advent of Jesus Christ? Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says it like this, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The Son was present before all things were created. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That is to say, the essence of God is the essence of the Son of God. The essence of the Christ. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Still speaking of the Son. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You remember what Stephen called God when he appeared to Abraham? He called God the God of glory. The God of glory. This is in relationship to what is said oftentimes in the Old Testament. The glory of God appeared. The glory of God appeared. The glory of God appeared. But there are other ways that the glory of God is spoken of. The glory of the Lord appeared in the Shekinah glory. Over the temple, over the tabernacle as it moved. You knew that God was there with his people when that cloud covered the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord is what it's called. In James chapter 2, verse 1, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. 1 Corinthians 2.8 says, None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have crucified the Lord of they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In the New Testament, indeed, in, in 2 Corinthians, we are said to behold the face of in, in, we are in a mirror, the face of the glory of the Lord. In a mirror. The face of Christ Jesus is what we behold when we behold the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord or the Lord of glory, what Jesus is called, the righteous one, as Stephen calls him, refer to that which only belongs to God. All glory. True righteousness. There is only one who is good. Paul described the doctrine of God our Savior this way with regards to the appearing of Christ. Titus 2, 11 through 14, what Brother Jim read. 
For the grace of God has appeared. Follow along because that's connected to what follows. We, we figure out what is that grace of God appearing. Bringing salvation for all people. That means Jew and Gentile. There is no distinction. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God, listen to this, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's his second appearing. That phrase, the grace of God has appeared, relates to that second statement of the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and regards the first appearing of Christ. When did God appear in his grace? When Christ appeared on this earth. Epiphany means that God has appeared in the person of the Son. And with him every blessing in heavenly places is poured out upon those who believe on his name. This is the hope for mankind. God with us. There is no other hope that we could possibly look for when we see these truths in Scripture. You cannot go to your doctor and receive greater hope than this. What is memorialized in this season of Advent, Advent in this idea of epiphany, is God with us. This is what we were separated from in the garden until Abraham, 2000, at least 2,000 years after, 2,000 years later, Christ comes into this world and the promises of God are all in Him, yes, and in Him, amen. Blessings are poured out upon sinners. There is no more wall of hostility between the peoples of this world because we have one God and one Lord, one Savior. He visited his people. God has poured out upon us richly, he says. Titus 3 through, through 7, let's read the rest of this narrative here. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared... He saved us. This is not just intangible emotions or, or love expressed in, in impersonal ways. This is expressed in a person. Namely, the Lord Jesus Christ. The goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God appeared in the person of Jesus Christ our Savior. God has visited his people. If you are in Christ, you are saved. If you are part of his bride, you are saved because he appeared. 
to bring salvation to you. If you are here and you are not convinced of these truths, I, I urge you to seek no other appearing. I don't care if science can extend life another thousand years for mankind. There's the question of would we even want it in a sinful world, in a world beset by new, to us, corruptions almost every day. See, we, we want to extend life because we know that death is a problem, but we don't know how to live life. We can't live it rightly. You see, eternal life does not just be, mean longer living. It means righteousness and peace with God and joy in the Holy Ghost. It means no more hatred towards our neighbor, which is often described these days by loving your neighbor in this world. Beware when the world tells you to love your neighbor that they don't know what love means. So seek no other appearing, not in science, not in the AI that they're trying to develop. Jesus has appeared once at the end of the ages. He has done what only one who is truly God and truly man could do, reconcile God with man. He is the one mediator between God and man. He is the only way to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. And if you say, well, that's just too narrow, I would say to you, give God glory that He makes a way. And that way is sufficient for every sinner who would believe on His name. So in this Advent season, we have the joy to look at the appearing of God in the person of Christ without constraint. That doesn't mean we forget about the evil in this world, but it does mean we can lift up our voices when we sing these hymns. It, it does mean that our heart should swell with hope and joy and peace because Christ brought that for us already with God. Yes, we don't see peace on this world. The, what is that song? The bells, the Christmas bells. There is no peace on earth, they said. I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. But that's going to give way. In God's timing, According to his will, that's going to give way. And there is a blessed hope that awaits us. The second appearing of our Lord and Savior. So when we think about this Advent season and the epiphany of our Savior, we need to know that all of the goodness that comes to us from God comes to us because he came to us. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And he drew near to us, so let us draw near to him.